Hello, I'm AT. Welcome to the Bulldog Gear podcast, where we aim to open up conversations and create discussions around the practical habits, ethos, and philosophies of the most successful people in our industry. Here, we will endeavor to identify, unpack, and discuss the actions and habits of fiercely successful individuals in and around the fitness space in an attempt to create clear, actionable philosophies for you guys to experiment with and implement on your own journey of self-improvement. Hello guys and welcome to a very special episode of the Bulldog Gear podcast. To celebrate the 10th anniversary of Bulldog, I've managed to convince, finally, the founders of Bulldog Gear, Kieran Heineck and Ian Thomas, to join me for a chat. I won't go into their full bio here, I'm going to let them do that for themselves, but uh, some massively interesting insights into both the company and the fitness industry itself uh, coming up for you in the next hour. I sincerely hope that listening to this chat is as interesting for you guys as it was for me to be a part of it. Enjoy. There's really no sort of fan-fed-filled intro that I could do this week that would do justice to my illustrious guests. And I'm not just saying that because they fund the podcast. I'm sat today with Kieran and Ian, Bulldog Gear founders. How are you guys doing tonight? Very good, AT. How about yourself? Not too bad. Thank you. That's some intro. I've never been called an illustrious guest before. I know, yeah. It's, it's a good, you, know. you can tell if you say that we're funding the podcast, can't you? I don't you? think my head's going to fit through this door at the end of the <laughs> <laughs> Now, normally, uh, obviously, as you know, as our most devoted listeners, when we get stuck into it with a guest, I'll ask them to give kind of their backstory and how they got to where they are today in their sport or whatever it is they do. But I think... What I'd like to know from you guys is what drew you to found Bulldog in the first place? Where did you start out? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So, um, uh, what was it at the height of the recession? And um, basically, was quite an avid CrossFit. I'd been over um, while I was at university, uh, trained with like Brian McKenzie. Um, CrossFit Endurance um, and his partner at the time and you know had an absolutely cracking time um, and then went down to um, Andy Petronic um, and did my level one down in CrossFit uh, San Diego so it was really for me it was like a CrossFit sort of background uh, and that was spurred on I was doing sports science at Loughborough Uni at the time and I think I was spurred on by the fact that the first year uh, was a complete DOS um, really wasn't learning a lot and I thought um, I could go over and actually learn some you know some interesting stuff on how to train and I felt there was a lot of theory but not a lot of practical um, and then was fortunate enough to train with um, uh, Dr. Romanov as well and like the running technique and um, so really in infancy um, and sort of propelled forth from there. Uh, I went in to do a career in the Royal Marines which as an officer which unfortunately didn't work out for me um, and uh, so came out uh, and really was, um, was like, right, well, the options. And we, well, basically sort of saw a niche in the market, saw that what was happening in the States um, and, you know, not really a, a good provider in the UK. Um, and so thought we'd turn a hand to that. And we literally ended on the back of a bag packet. So we were running running fitness classes in uh, a park in Derby 
and the guys were bending the goalposts, um, doing pull-ups and dips on there uh, for group classes. And next door neighbour was a, uh, a blacksmith, and one of my best mates' dads was a uh, fabricator welder. And so they started making functional train rigs, um, and then we needed a logo, uh, some artwork and renders from design. And uh, Ian, I've, I've been, well, I've known each other since, what, eight years old? Yeah, and um, so I think really is um, it was a bit of, yeah absolute fag packet of an idea. Let's give this a go. We've got nothing to lose. Uh, height of the recession and things started to uh, take off. Um, yeah, so that's how we how we started really, um, really quite organically, um, and just thought we'd give things a go. So what? Obviously, we're we're staring down the barrel of bulldogs. 10 year anniversary right that'll be when this goes out that'll be this weekend when what kind of time frame were you over in the states uh, doing your crossfit training what sort of year would, would that have been oh, God, what would it be 2008 yeah 2008 um yeah really be interesting really hospitable so slept on the floor uh, so it was brian melissa mckenzie at the time uh, they're separating now but absolutely uh, it was carl borg and rookie at coach as well um, at genetic potential, um, couldn't thank them enough. Went over, slept on the gym, literally slept on the gym floor on a mattress, um, and used the disabled toilets where there was a shower. And then after a few weeks, stayed in their house. Um, and it was just great. Just got to see, experience it firsthand how the guys trained. Um, and I've watched like the three hundred film of how you know how people are trained like that. Really, completely different. If you imagine the knowledge that's out here now for young young people compared to when. Yeah. We were young, you know, um, it was just going warm up 10 minutes and do three sets of 15 exercises on a load of machines in a, in a public gym. And I think it's gone a long way. So it was just absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, in Newport Beach um, and did that. So I think I've probably gone off topic, which... No, no. So I did, what, what, I was, what I was trying to sort of get to is that you have really been... In the, in the functional fitness scene as it is now, really from its, definitely from its inception, definitely from its marketable inception. I would, you know, looking back to 2008, 2009, they would probably be the times where yeah. I was just picking up on it. And yeah, and I think that's what the really fun thing was, because there was a really interesting community, like people, it was all grassroots, like people wanting to drive change uh, with quite a lot of old guard, you know, the, um, the big health, health clubs and people perpetuating myths about what you need to do to train yeah. and get fit actually you know um if you follow movements to really basic principles but you know if you actually educate yourself or you know um you can actually get a really decent level of performance from that so um i really enjoyed it that was that was the fun part for me because it was the, the sort of um you know lot, did a lot of learning um and you know in america it was looking at how like you know um the elite sports trained at the time has completely changed. You know, it, it, the guys would be in American football would be not really doing a lot of functional work, doing a lot of bodybuilding work. And then we got to sit, go over and stay with the, uh, in Coronado with the Navy SEALs uh, during Hell Week and see how they were training, you know, doing lots of lunges, pull-ups, assault course elements. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, and yeah, something I'm really thankful for. Did, did that experience, did those experiences, did they inform what you kind of lean towards uh, manufacturing and um, a kind of uh, 
the way you influenced the industry in the beginning? Was it those experience, those experiences that kind of gave you a good gauge of what you needed to be making, the changes you need to, needed to kind of spearhead in the industry? I'd argue that actually, no, it's probably what was already being made was that bad that you knew there was an opportunity there to do change. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff out there where it was being made by, there wasn't a lot, but there was stuff that were, people that were making stuff, but really didn't do, you know, do fitness. Yeah. I've always had a passion for fitness from a young age, and I'm, I'm definitely not the fittest person, um, but I, I enjoy it, and you know, I take home what I can from that. Um, but I definitely had an understanding, and it was, even now, you know, it was no frills. So, you know, it'll do what it needs to do on the tin. It doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be, you know, all this marketing hype. It just needs to be, you just need to be able to do pull-ups, dips on it, be able to squat, squat yeah. on, on it. And then we just, you need a good bar and a good set of bump plates without, um, you know, all the marketing guff that goes behind it. So that sort of probably set me on the trend of, um, you know, sat down with a, one of my best mates, dad's going and my next door neighbor going like, can we, you know, can we sort of make some of this stuff guys? And, and we, the first job we ever did was uh, for Sarum CrossFit uh, and Train Manchester, so Sam Briggs at the time, uh, and that sort of propelled us on. Um, and I guess we were in that niche and we sort of followed that yeah. wave of, um, you know, really individual people that wanted to make a difference. And that was, that was really exciting is, you know, the grassroots is still exciting now. You know, you go to the local authorities and you go to the bigger gym chains and there's a lot of people that, you know, aren't that passionate about improving people's lives and fitness. But the guys that did follow that whole sort of, you know, the initial wave of functional fitness cross gyms was really enjoyable to work with because it was impassioned individuals that um, really wanted to make a change. And, you know, a lot of them had a spit and sawdust budget as well, yeah. which moving on now, it really is, I, I don't know about you, but it's definitely democratized um, fitness equipment. 100%. You know, you look at some of the yeah. big providers us and you know we've sort of followed suit is we provide extremely you know if you think about the hammering stuff takes with the high reps you know clean and jerks and deadlifts before there was limited options you'd be paying like you know a thousand pounds a barbell and what you found is is the market's driven that uh, that standard that commercial standard to really be brought down and um, yeah. you know so yeah it was really exciting um definitely difficult though um you know we were both young uh, and didn't know a lot about business so there was a lot of hard lessons that we we learned and you know we were sat there and I think my best mate who I was best man for was like oh it'll never work and um I suppose that you know you, you, never, always... you never need to tell Kieran that yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was all gift in to be honest you know, that, yeah. that, that kind of puts the fire in the belly of you can't do something or I, I think you know I've been in environments where you men and work as a team and people will try and undermine and make themselves look good uh, to the detriment of the team effort and to make themselves look better. And I think we were there of going, no, we want to create a really a team ethos where someone could come to work, you can have a good crack and, you know, the sum is greater than the parts. And we've definitely achieved that, I think, hand on heart over the last 10 years. You know, if you come into work, everyone enjoys coming to work um, and, that's that's actually that's one of the, the there's lots of cons but there's lots of pros of being your own your own uh, business owner and that's being able to set what's acceptable and that work environment ethos um so you know we've sort of you know really developed quite a young team and empowered we we were really young the whole team's very young and we brought in experienced people with us but 
that's really exciting as well because um, what you make up for lack of experience, you make up for uh, imagination and ingenuity. So yeah, that was a very long monologue. No, no, no. I love it. And that's, that's a hundred percent sort of in line with my kind of experience, but you know, uh, with Bulldog, you, you touched on it there, but obviously CrossFit back in the day was very grassroots and it was almost, that was the culture that was almost fostered. That's, there's a reason it's called a box, right? And everything, it was kind of praised to have this kind of DIY aspect to begin with. And then people would, when people wanted rigs, everyone would know someone who was a fabricator or get someone in to do this. And like, like you said, like, that's great. And I'm, you know, it still has a special place in my heart, but once you kind of get to that next level, where as you say, stuff's getting hammered or you're in a more commercial environment where it's literally just a case of people coming through the door, it suddenly just isn't affordable anymore, is it? To you either you either you are either paying out to have something super specialist made by a fabricator that is gonna do the job, or you're gonna have something that's just not, you know, kind of up to standard for a commercial environment, which is what a lot of boxes and functional fitness spaces are now really like you said it's been democratized and it that through the rise and rise of it this stuff does need to be up to the same commercial grade that you would find in uh any large gym chain right so that the, there's no space anymore for this kind of i don't want to say grassroots because it's not what i mean but this idea of you know i just got someone to come in and knock this rig up like this stuff now needs to be ready to take a batter in yeah it does and i think we were quite fortunate and we, we brought out a different ranges and you know mass produced them so we could get that economy of scale um but equally what you're finding now is i think um there's quite a lot of the old providers that provide a lot of the non should we say non-functional equipment are now struggling because you know they want to they want to sell a, a solution that relies on a really expensive um items of equipment whereas actually i think we all look like you know from chatting is if you can break down those knowledge silos of knowledge of how to train um you know you don't need loads of equipment you just need you know you need to have knowledge of how to, to use it uh, and you need something that's fit and robust and up for the task and it, you know it doesn't necessarily have to be um again you know we can cut the bs aside you know if it does what it needs to do um you know you know, you can you can manufacture something that's you know fit for purpose and suitable, and um, you know so that's yeah that's definitely interesting. I think and obviously now you're going, you know I think you get to a point of a certain clientele. You've seen the gyms go through things, and you know people do want hot showers, they do want you yeah. know nice changing rooms uh, and heat. But but you know um, it's just been very a very interesting journey to watch how things have progressed, um, and you know but that that first wave of you know entrepreneurs of you know individual business owners opening up these boxes is um absolute credit to them because you know they they've driven the change um and they've driven that change for a passion of wanting to improve people's lives yeah uh, and that can be it's uh, absolutely functional fitness as it is now was a was a shot in the arm for fitness in general wasn't it it's uh, i always say to people anyone who's got any sort of disparaging opinion about any of the bigger modalities of functional fitness is my opinion is it's kind of the tide that's brought up all ships, right? Like we wouldn't be having this conversation now if it wasn't for the, the rise and rise of functional fitness. And it's hard to see any area in fitness that hasn't positively benefited from the, from those 
you know, call it as I see it from those gym owners in the beginning, pushing forward to make big changes in the industry, to make waves, the butterfly effect of those guys who, you know, like you, like yourselves who started out boot camps, bending goalposts, what that has now rippled out to across the fitness industry, I think is you can't actually appreciate how big the effect that's been what do you think has been the biggest changes or the what are the biggest changes you've observed over the last 10 years um i think you've just hit the nail on the head to some degree is functional fitness 10 years ago let's go back to when we started training at like key's mum's house filthy 50 was a staple wasn't it people looking at us like absolutely crazy running up and down the road doing you know strict handstand press up lunging across the garden whatever it was the biggest things now is like that's the norm that's become normalized functional fitness back then was was an anomaly it was the outsider it's not anymore you take where we situated in the midlands back then there wasn't a crossfit gym for example within a 40 mile radius now there's probably seven or eight within a 10 to 15 mile radius and not that crossfit was necessarily the be all and end all but it's been the offshoot from that has then filtered in to other industries, boutique gyms. Let's take, for example, let's go on our last week alone. We've done a climbing center, climbing mm-hmm. center, student accommodation, and a full studio, a one rebel studio in central London. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and even put into a full wellness center at the, at the far end. You know, they were all the offshoots of, of 10 years of people changing, not just even. The, the, the CrossFit owners that were there 10 years ago, the people that were the coaches that were in those gyms are now in positions whereby they have the ability to make change into other areas. So, for example, they may have been gym goers, they now might be gym managers, or they might set up their own space. And the offshoots of that mean that the industry, from what was functional fitness, was a niche. It's now longer that it's the mainstream. Because if you, if you think back you know jumping in there if you think back to you know when you did your induction at 16 at a local authority gym this is how you use the selectorized chest press machine this is how you do that you didn't get taught how to do a pull-up correctly how to scale that pull-up to build up your reps or even get to your first pull-up how to do a dip correctly and recruit you know externally rotate so you're not you know you can recruit the right muscle groups and you know you know uh you know crossfit did do that where it democratized all those movements you know how to do an air squat None of the old manufacturers, if you do the reps, uh, the reps personal training scheme, or you even went to university to study, you know, sport and exercise science, you weren't taught how to do a press up correctly, or you weren't taught how to do a strict press. You were taught a lot about programming, but not the movements. And, you know, you, you pay that, well, you certainly pay a lot more for university now than, than back when I went. And, um, you know, it was, it's criminal. And, and so, you know, you really sort of find in that they, you know, they, they focus on the basics of movement patterns and that information would only have been available to, you know, um, elite sport before. And a lot of them aren't willing to share that knowledge. I think that's changing now, but you're still finding there's people that have hold that knowledge. Uh, And I think that's probably one of our missions, which you might, you might touch on, but you know, we really want to break down those barriers and knowledge silos and be like, you know, this is how you can train. And if, if you want to train for a sport, great. But if you want to train for aesthetics, that's fine as well. You know, a lot of the movements are similar. It's just, how you program for that, that's different. I think, I think to, to carry on from that is realistically what we've been trying to do for the last 10 years is to make fitness affordable and for everybody. The common man can do it with the right knowledge. 
and the right equipment, you don't need to be misled down the wrong path. I think that ultimately that's what's happened in the whole industry. Let's take the UK alone. These chains of functional fitness gyms are not just CrossFit anymore. There is functional bodybuilding. There's there's all sorts that actually stem from what is and at the basic yeah. principles. And, I think and, that's and really a massive, important. massive female following as well, you know, which, you know, 10 years ago, if you, you went to a gym, it would just be a, a group of lads there. You know, now there's some, there's some incredibly, you know, strong and athletic uh, women about who could give a lot, you know, a lot of blokes the run for the money because they, they're very strict and rigid of how they follow their programming. But yeah, so I think it's been, uh, you've seen a massive change in, I think, just the knowledge, that knowledge that's available. Yeah, I think that's actually a really, really important point that I don't think I've ever put a lot of thought into before is that the the kind of coming up of functional fitness is a very egalitarian kind of equal opportunity. There's no, you know, bodybuilding. Obviously, there's tons of fantastic females in bodybuilding, but by and large, the general perception of it is it's very male, it's very male dominated. It's not, you know, you don't, you can, if I asked you to reel off a list of words about bodybuilding, it wouldn't be long before you hit testosterone, would it? Um, whereas I think with functional fitness, it's very, it's so almost asexual, isn't it? There's no, I, for me personally, there's no stereotype or archetype of what a functional fitness athlete trainee looks like. Are they male? Are they female? There really is nothing. It really is at least from uh, a gender point of view, it really is, pretty inclusive isn't it yeah yeah and it's also i think for, for me I, I enjoy my running and my mountaineering so my functional fitness might be tailored slightly differently to someone who's an olympic lifter or you know a road cyclist and what it does is it gives that you know that general physical preparedness to to you know a, a bit specialization isn't the enemy you know if, if yeah. you, you want to have a, like a broad range of um uh like level of fitness but then if you need to specialize and that's what you enjoy um you know that's where you can go down but you, you're given that foundation um and i just find you know i think it's really interesting i also think from a longevity point of view you know if you think back in the day you know people would retire when like get to 30 the mid 30s all all the knowledge out there like you know rehab mobility um everything that's you know the the, the touch of youtube or a subscription to a provider now you know can prolong your enjoyment of physical activity well into you know your late 60s 70s because you know you're getting taught how to look after your body yeah yeah i think the as you said before the the package that has come with functional fitness in terms of the education of the masses is huge right and it even like like you said a, a reps level free um you know, I, my advice to people now when they ask me about getting their personal trainer qualification is just like, look, just get through your course, you know, yeah. answer the yeah. questions the way you want. Yeah, you know. It's just like university in a lot of places now, like loads of young kids go to university, but they haven't got that. There's no other, you know, because the government's, a successive government have pushed them in, you've got to go to university to be a success. There isn't that um, practical training, you know, available yeah. uh, on the job training where you can learn. So I wouldn't say, you know, um it's, yeah it's a hard decision for, for people that want to you know get into that industry um i argue now it's more open than it's ever been. Yeah. we've just seen that through the pandemic like you just touched base on there like okay we've we've both got university backgrounds 
but someone like yourself, AT, is probably as equal, if not better knowledge in certain areas than a lot of people. And you don't, you've done it the, the hard way, grafting it out. And actually, you're, you take that blend and that mix of people is, there's more people with, say, university backgrounds who want to be the knowledge silos. They want to keep the retention of information for importance. And actually, the things that you do and you try and bring to, a, to your own work and your own platforms, and what we're trying to do is actually know the complete opposite. We want to be the people that allows people to buy kit and knows how to, how to use it safely, how to pick it up correctly, how to get the most out of that, whether they're in a home gym or a commercial setting. It shouldn't matter. And I think that we are the people that are just trying to offer that as a, it should be just common. It should be free. And I think you also touch on there is like, you know, our education system, you know, it's not fit for purpose, it's Victorian. And when we were at school, you know, 10 years ago, you've got to go to university to be a success. Like you don't have, you don't have to go to university and get to loads of debt to be a success, but you have to be different from the crowd. And also it's being able to try and find a mentor, the right course to be able to go for. Uh, you know, you know, if you look at back in the day of like people now being like plumbers and electricians, you know, they're earning far more than a lot of people at university. And a lot of people that go to university have got the lecturers and teachers have got no experience of real life. And so I think there's a massive shake up in education uh, in its entirety, but also in the fitness space where, you know, the, the, there should be more vocational training available. Uh, you know, you don't need to get yourself in a load of debt to be able to uh, make yourself make a success in a career. And especially, you know, with Instagram and digital marketing now, as I'm sure you're well aware, with influencers is you can create a platform. You don't have to go to a media house and you can create your own content. Um, so that's like, a, that's also, you know, with, with social media, it's a massive democratizer and a, a, a leveler. Um, so that's just something I'd probably portray as well and get across is, um, you know, you don't have to get yourself into tons of debt for a university to get a certificate uh, to know, you know, to, to be professional at what you do. Yeah, and uh, you know, fair play, full respect to anybody who's done it. But my observation a lot of times, and I've been in a, in a, you know, almost a mentor position with people who have got sports science degrees and it's five years and you've got to learn, or, you know, it's however long it is, but you've got to learn so much that you end up actually losing a lot of the specifics because there's nothing vocational. There's very little vocational there. So as you say, you get people who are really their general knowledge on sports science on, on physiology on anatomy is great but they couldn't tell you and i get this is because you're not necessarily going into a job like this but they couldn't like you say they couldn't tell you how to regress a pull-up they couldn't help you in any of these um any of these practical areas and whereas you know you go and train as a plumber and you're going to learn to fix plumbing um, yeah. And I think what we're seeing now is a, a rise and rise in availability of quite specific knowledge, which is enabling people to clue themselves up and upskill themselves in their own area. And instead of, as you say, having to spend thousands and thousands of pounds, get into debt to get a general understanding of this, uh, not even this industry, but like, you know, this, this area and then go away and kind of upskill yourself through experience and through finding mentors. I think it's so good now that there's so many education platforms and even like people knock it if they like, but I can't imagine the amount of, you know, trainers and even trainees who have upskilled and up themselves just through social media in the last 
10 years oh, yeah. it's huge massive, massive work, work and it's like you, you know you can log on and the problem is is you know you go from everyone's got to be in school now until they're 18 and it's like a push to go to further education but there are other options and it's like you know you can go do seminars the, the biggest problem is access to finance yeah but, you know you've seen it in america where you know people are getting into you know hundreds of thousands of pounds with the debt and in the uk there's a the similar sort of thing and there isn't there's that lack of access to funding and vocational training but at the end of the day you can go on you you can go on youtube you can go on to you know like you say instagram and social and the knowledge that's available there um you know it is vast so you know i think in a, in a way to learn and, and to be able to pivot i think it's you know really beneficial or, or you know it's definitely something that wasn't available 10 years when, ago. yeah 10 years, I ago. Said 10 years ago like it just wasn't yeah yeah some of the people that we've been really you know fortunate to have worked with we seem to and i actually think people could say it's fortunate i don't think it is i think actually you find people like-minded or whatever let's go back to some of the earlier people like, let's take ross for example ross actually before he even swam around the uk or whatever like that you know good people or know when they're doing good things same for craig and it's like those kind of people have now they were ahead of their curves with digital marketing and what they've been able to do is portray their own messages and be a part of their journeys has been able to bring people to us and go and actually what they're doing <laughs> and what we're doing. Excuse me. Bless you. <laughs> yeah. I, knew there, I knew there was another one coming. That's why I waited. Um, I think what, people are going to have a knee-jerk reaction at the idea of kind of what functional fitness done has done has made fitness affordable, which I can, I can see the, I can see the argument in some regards, but then when I look at, you know, essentially your option before was a shit home gym from Argos or that wasn't fit for purpose and you're never going to use it because it's not fit for purpose or rent your gym from, you know, local leisure center, whatever it may be, uh, whereby, you know, you, as you say, you're funneled round stuff. You're funneled around the machines because they're easy to teach someone to use, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, realistically, what the rise and rise of manufacturing of functional equipment has done, it has made it affordable to get a almost not, a, I don't want to say a commercial gym experience, but products that are fit for purpose at home or in your small facility, right? Do you think the gap between what we do uh, and, and this, this level of, uh, of equipment manufacturing and, and this style of, of training and equipment, the gap between there and the, the commercial gym is literally, do you feel like that's education? Yeah, I think, I, I think we both agree that, you know, you could go, you've got loads of local authorities that are completely behind the times and then you have a lot of the old God, you know, when you're looking at these tenders and everywhere else, even in the ministry of defense, when you, when you're quoting for jobs, you've got, really young, enthusiastic, personal uh, PTI, physical training instructors who know what they're on about. And then guys that were just basically, right, we're going to tab everywhere and we're going to do some press-ups. Uh, you know, and we're going to run every day. And the guys that are in the key positions haven't got a clue. And the guys that are young and know what they're doing aren't empowered. Uh, and that's just going to, it's just, you know, a generational cycle. And some organisations are further behind than others. But, you know, at, you know as you, you and I know, is like, you know, you can train and, and, and do something a lot more, um, you know, cleverly with, with the right programming. 
So I think now what's happening in the industry is the knowledge of the movement patterns is there, you know, how to squat, how to do a lunge correctly, how to do a press up, but there's not a lot of knowledge. And I think a lot of influencers are very good on that as well. But then the knowledge of how to program correctly uh, and it's individual. And what we're going to see now is, uh, you know, an increase in that, you know, just being able programming for everyone together uh, isn't, isn't the optimized, you know, the best opt optimization. You know, if you're, you've really got to look at like a periodized program for individuals based on their own needs, you know, their own genetic makeup, their own dietary requirements and their own sleep patterns. You know, one person might respond really well to a certain stimulus because of their genetic makeup or what their sort of recovery cycle is versus someone else who needs a completely different program. And I think all the programs in the past have always been, you know, this is what the group do. Uh, you know, this is the median, and if you fall left or right of that, then that's your problem. Whereas actually, you know, human performance is about, uh, you know, getting the best out of yourself. And, you know, actually maybe your performance is deteriorating or not as good as it could have been because your nutrition's not there or your sleep's not, you know, your sleep uh, pattern's not uh, correct. Um, so I think that's where the industry's going. And, you know, it's definitely going that way where individuals are then looking at their, nutri their nutrition, their sleep patterns and getting data. But I think as you've touched on as well is, you know, from recent posts is you can get too buried in the data and sometimes you just need to take your watch off, get away from, disconnect from, you know, this century and just go for a run, go do your own thing without a data loop. Um, I, think, so, I think to add to that though, like, I think we do live in a time now and uh, whereby there's a lot of people aspiring to be or live I call it as a semi-professional athlete. So the advanced intermediate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Ian, Ian says athlete, and I say adult PE because you know ultimately it's an athlete is an Olympian. An athlete is a peak in their sport. Yeah, but I think my point you know, in this instance is that actually I completely agree. But what I'm saying is they want to live the lifestyle that, that all the the, the, the the information that's available for nutrition, the information that's available for tech, whatever it is gives them the ability to live from being an adult PE goer. So an aspirin athlete, yeah. I would call it. And a, yeah. it's like a, an upscaled adult PE goer to a, an athlete coming down. It's like the, this, there's this new formalization of personality type of people that want to take their, have a take their training nutrition seriously. Yeah. Like, serious, yeah. But, you know, yeah. that's one of my pet gripes, which is probably not going to do our sales very well. But, you know... Um, Here we go. Stop no, no, no so, stop you know, there's an athlete and then there's, you know, someone who wants to be empowered and, and take the right information. And I think, um, yeah, what you are seeing is, you know, a massive pool of people now that want to take their nutrition seriously, want to take their sleep patterns seriously, even to the point where you could do blood testing now and your gut testing, you know, and look at your nutrition levels and your gut biome. Um, so... You know, that's only a good thing, you know, being able to live that high performance lifestyle, um, you know, where you can actually, well, I'm on this planet for once, you know, I want to optimize what I'm doing. And, you know, complete kudos to that, to people that have the discipline to, uh, to follow that through. I think it's great. Um, Not us. Well, no, like, some, you know, <laughs> I think yeah. the antithesis that, you know, sometimes work, that also you've got to understand is sometimes work does get in the way. Yeah, uh, and I think as a young naive twenty-three-year-old, we'd be like, "Oh, why are people overweight, and why can't they? You know, why aren't they fit?" And you know, but actually, when you've got, you know, a couple of kids, uh, you know, a really high-powered job, 
and you're juggling everything, uh, certain things sometimes have to give. But yeah, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, no. and I think actually the norm is is you know, you'll go through periods of where you're really on it, you're on that curve where you're doing lots of training, you're, you're spot on with your nutrition, and sometimes you'll come off that. But and I do I, think the good thing that you just said, I think just to add to that, is that we're in this realm now whereby the knowledge of your own output can be, okay, I accept there's going to be peaks and troughs of it, but more people are well, more aware, okay, I've just fallen off here, I know how to get back on, I don't need to fire all that out to a local gym i can get on i can do it for my own garage when it fits around or if i can control my environment better then i can control that a little bit better but yeah. where actually, i think the home gym is going to be a big you know ultimately knowledge is power you know and a lot of the a lot of the big commercial players don't want you to have that knowledge they want to be able to influence you and sell you something that's not fit for purpose but high margin and a gimmick and the more knowledge you've got you know it's free it doesn't weigh anything um and you can get yourself back on track so um, you know, I think that's a massive benefit of uh, our generation now with social media is, you know, that democratization, again, we keep coming back to it, of that knowledge. Yeah, I think that's where you kind of had, the way you kind of split ways there in your opinion between the two of you, I think is actually the perfect sort of summary of the idea that we're discussing of the increase in education in industry the point is yes you can if you want you have the access you have access to all the information and all the tools you need to go away and train like a professional athlete and to me it's no different to any other hobby there's lots of hobbies where you can pursue it with the same vigor someone pursues you know their their job and it doesn't pay you anything. It doesn't do this, doesn't do that. And I think if people want to do that with their bodies and their training, absolutely fine. And to the same degree, you've also got access to, um, you know, the levels, every rung of the ladder below that, like you say, where you've just, you know, you've had two kids, you've had a couple of years layoff from training and all the information is there for you from either people in a similar situation or people who've trained people in a situation, they specialize in this, they understand people's lifestyles. Like you say, well, you're no longer beholden to the idea of your only option is sign back up to the gym. Whether you want to train like a professional athlete or whether you just want to get some fitness back because you, you know, you've, you've got a bit unfit since the birth of your kids. Once upon a time, your only option was go down to the local leisure center and get your leisure card out and sign on the dotted line and get an induction off of, you know, a spotty 18 year old on how to use the, I can say that cause I was that spotty 18 year old once, um, on how to use the lap pull down and the chest press machine. And like you said, the, the, the education now has just empowered people, hasn't it? It's completely changed. And uh, this is something I want to kind of go on to next, but people by and large, I would say by and large now the average gym trainee, especially in the functional fitness space, is more, I'm not intelligent, but more clued up and has a, bet, a better understanding of fitness than the average level three PT 10 years ago. I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would happily say that. Categorically, 100%. I'd actually yeah. say they could call bullshit on that person. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's I what we're seeing, isn't it? Yeah. The pandemic has, has only just made that even bigger. Uh, as a thing, because if you think about it, let's go back 18 months ago, gym shut, right? And all of a sudden, you're caught in a catch 22, whereby the person that you farmed your fitness out to, your local gym, your local PT, or whatever, can't train you anymore. And all of a sudden, you're left with this well, what do I do? 
and people have gone, all right, I can either go buy some kit or I just wait till my gym to back open. And all of a sudden that audience has gone, okay, right, I'm going to go get this piece of kit. Well, what would it be? Dumbbell, kettlebell, whatever it is. Or some people went all out, full blown gym, depending on what I could get their hands on. But all of a sudden, they're now looking for more knowledge resources with which to, to take that on themselves. So from where before, they're in a situation whereby they didn't have to think about it. They could just turn up and crack on, especially in functional fitness gyms. They've now gone, all right, I've got an opportunity to level up myself now. And all of a sudden, you're at this position whereby people are in a better, better situation for themselves. They've got more knowledge. They've spent the last 18 months researching, looking at, especially when people have been furloughed. It's like, right, well, I'm going to get a piece of kit. I'm going to do it at home and I'm just going to crack on with it. And now all of a sudden, people are maybe not so focused on maybe go back to the gym or they can go back, but they're not. So they're maybe calling out those coaches a little bit more because actually they've got a bit more knowledge than what they had before. So I think that's a great thing to have come out of this. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I will put my hands up and say that, you know, even as someone who's been in industry for 17 years and I spend, a, you know, a lot of the work I do is geared towards the, the general public, not professionals. I was so surprised by what it became apparent just how much fitness meant to people during the pandemic. And I, I was very surprised. I was very surprised by that. Um, the, I think it's really been a, a big lesson in, in how important you know, we, everything's very doom and gloom at the moment, isn't it? About the, the state of physical fitness and physical readiness in the, in the Western world or, you know, however you want to spin it. But when the pandemic hit and the gyms closed and you, you saw this big rush for people that wanted to keep their fitness going, that kind of doesn't marry to me with the idea that, you know, the whole Western world's going to pot and, physical culture is dead and people just sit on their ass and their iPhones all day to then suddenly see everybody and their mom and their nan trying to get their hands on, on, you know, dumbbells and, and barbells to me can only be, it's only a good sign. You know, that kind of reaffirmed my sort of faith that we're actually moving in the right direction. And that this is something people want to do this, this, this self-improvement kind of thing. Um, what were the, what were the, your biggest learnings from the pandemic? Um, I think the biggest learnings, uh, from our point of view was, I guess, from our staff point of view, uh, um, that we'd had like a really good team and the culture does matter. And like, it does, it does pay off, you know, being a good employer, um, and you know, everyone, everyone got together as a team and, and dug out blind to make sure we could operate in quite difficult circumstances. Um, but also equally, it showed us, so for example, during that, and you know, not to play around a bit, but we didn't increase prices throughout the whole of the pandemic. We didn't profiteer. Uh, and quite a lot of uh, larger companies did increase the prices and, and did exploit. Um, we're sort of a bit dubious of, you know, whether the consumer actually has a longer term enough memory to remember that, or we, you know, we shot ourselves in the foot, but we, but we wanted to do what was right. Um, and then ultimately, you know, we had to increase prices now because of, you know, the well publicized container rates and steel prices um, in the UK. But I think from us, it was a, um, 
you know what you realize is actually you, you can you can create people do buy into an ethical business and um i'm not saying we get everything right you know certainly we had issues with customer service you know we had um some of the team that had to look after two kids they weren't in school they're having to you know answer emails um while you know while they've got them running around you know so definitely it was uh, detrimental effects but you know um it did show that people do buy into not everyone but people do buy into um, like you know a business that's ethical and and tries to live by certain standards um but i still think you know that's uh, as a whole like the british consumer is quite uh, hypocritical uh, you know and they'll, they'll drive down prices and want cheap prices but they won't consider where that product comes from um the environmental and social and humanitarian consequences of where that product comes from you know which globalization is allowed to happen you know what are the factory conditions how much is that person paid you know do they get a state pension you know are they on welfare if they, they damage themselves but you know they just look at a, a certain level of consumer that's and i think personally that's where an education system lets ourselves down where they don't educate on uh, you know all those intangibles that don't come through um, but I also I think it showed, as you said, like people are really enthusiastic, and there was a big, you know, like everything. There's a group of people that will go, "Oh, this is the situation," and uh, implode. And then there's people going, "Right, well, this is the current situation. How can I turn this into a positive?" And I think what you've seen is a lot of people go, "Okay, well, I can't go on holiday. I can't do this. But what I can do is I can train for my first half marathon, or I can. I'm going to get my first pull up, and or I'm going to get fitter." And I'm going to get the kids fitter. So I think, you know, that just highlights uh, there's a, there is a lot of people out there that will can turn a positive into a negative. Um, and also some of the, some of that I think is innate, but also sometimes I think that's part of an environment and it can be trained and it's a habit. And so I think that also highlights that um, there's a role for organisations to help people. Um, you know, look at the options and go, well, okay, this is my current situation, but instead of feeling down in the dumps about it, what, how can I turn this into a positive? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people did do that, uh, you know, so rather than just getting on the cans of beer and uh, watching Tiger King the whole time, um, you know, they went, oh, well, I can go, you know, I can do a marathon in the garden or, you know, I can get my, I can do PE lessons with the kids uh, and turn it into a positive. Um, so I actually, I actually think it fed a lot of positive habits created yeah. out of it. Like for me, the amount of people that I knew were training for mental health more than anything else probably increased tenfold purely because you're forced into a situation whereby your normal ways of getting out of situations is not no longer there. And all of a sudden you, you, you're looking for whatever ways you can, not just the physical, but the mental side of things as well, which is exactly that. And I think that consumer cultures of, I should say, I think my other one, the biggest one, is everybody thinks you're trans and you're not, and you're doing everything you can, and people don't see that. You know, we were doing everything we physically could to do what we could yeah. to get product to people to keep them fit and healthy. We're yeah. one of the very rare products that, in you know, time and thing is, our job is to keep people fit and healthy. But ultimately, that's what we do, and that's what we deliver, and that's what we were trying to do, working around the clock taking as, as, as much as we possibly could on to get stuff to people. And I think yeah, that's the biggest part of really curve. I think the positive as well, I think like 80, like anything, is um, you find out what your customer group is and the, you know, the guys who understand. And then you also realize who your customer is not. And your customer is not the person that, you know, uh, you know, 
is just all self-focused. You know, it's not just a one-way street. Actually, sometimes the customer is wrong. And, you know, quite a lot of our customers were uh, empathetic and, and the, the team were putting in some serious hours. Um, you know, you know, really working to get product out the door in, in quite uh, challenging circumstances. And a lot of people were understanding of that. Uh, and then other people you, you realize were quite self-centered and were like, this is just me. Uh, and we were like, well, you know, we're, we're quite fortunate in a position where, we, you know, we can choose who we want to have as a customer um, and let a competitor, if someone's going to be a real pain in the arse, just, just turn the work down and let them cause someone else, a, you know, let, let them be a nuisance to someone else. Um, whereas I would say quite a lot of our customers are quite educated, self-leveled, um, you know, uh, emotively and uh, intellectually intelligent. So, you know, they can, they can assess the situation. Um, and that was really good because we got a lot of support from that, which was, I think, you know, it was quite, um, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was really pos a real positive for us to show what we were doing was, um, you know, we were on the right track. Yeah, I think even some of the content we'd done pre-COVID, like let's take home gym stuff, or one of the things we were trying to work and work towards, that all blew up. And it's like, it, yeah, okay, you can say that it blew up because of a pandemic. Well, it did, and it was there already, it was just that people didn't know they needed it yet. And although all the pandemic was, was, was a negative time for a lot of people, like we spoke about and we spoke about previously, is they give them the chance to level up and know what they're actually going after, what they're looking for. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think, I, I think the bit, like, I was just thinking there, actually, that the pandemic and social media and kind of like the idea of, I'll oh, tag five friends and we'll do a 5K and things like that, probably did more for people's physical fitness in that period than any government cycle to work scheme or do this scheme or do that scheme and i think that the the elephant in the room is that the the element missing generally that was there then was time it was time for people but i think all those resources that people either you know we already had we'd already created because we knew there was a space for it or that people kind of had to scramble and make during the pandemic i think what they've done to people is give them a permanent solution like you're back to work now but now you, you know, you've been to the ultimate end of there are no gyms, you know, it's not an option and you've had to pick up resources and upskill yourself and educate yourself in that environment. So now when you're back at work, if there's, you know, you're working late and the gym's closed or you just don't quite have the time or whatever it may be, I feel like that period has been a really good, almost like an enlightenment for people to learn how they can really take ownership of their own fitness and like you say before that's not what by and large a lot of fitness corporations want from people they want people in their facilities they want people you know beholden to them but i think that period of time really did it, it forced people to find other ways right and that's now skills people can take with them um, what i want to touch on because there's a couple of things you said there that i find really interesting i know other people will is that idea of the consumer doesn't really kind of turns a blind eye to some of the more far reaching implications of simply buying cheaper stuff beyond, beyond, is it just cheaper quality beyond this, beyond that. And I know that's something that I know the, the ethical um, side of, of, pre, of produce for a bulldog is really important. Obviously I, I've been privy to that 
that kind of uh, that ethos with you guys. But I wonder if you could just touch a little bit more on on why it is you think it's important, or what you do to ensure that actually, from start to finish, uh, Bulldog Gear products are that they meet your core values. Yeah, so I think that's important. I think you, you know, one of the big things. Let's let's talk about a barbell. You know, um, pretty important to any sort of strength and conditioning program is you know europe has uh, bans numerous chemicals as has the us because it's damaging to the environment which uh, creates uh, makes it a lot harder to create you know a really good finish on your chrome or um, a, a nickel plated barbell and you know if you if you look at an imported barbell that said country uh, won't have the restrictions um, they won't have the environmental regulations so for example the operator in that plant uh, where they're plating won't have to wear the relevant PPE, um, that those chemicals won't have to be destroyed in uh, the correct manner. And so a consumer will look on and go, oh, well, you know, this bar's, you know, you know, 195 pounds, this bar's 295 pounds, I'll go for the cheaper one. Um, and they don't take any consideration to the fact that, um, you know, that person's not paid, um, you know, the correct wage, they haven't got, you know, pension contribution, the environmental uh, contribute, uh, you know, uh, repercussions, even the carbon uh, repercussions of transporting said products, you know, halfway around the world. And you know, it is a, it is a choice, but equally, that's also down to government. And um, uh, you know, not you know, everyone goes on about the free market, and you know, there is no such thing as the free market. The market is regulated by government, and um, you know, they they put in the, the structures and limitations for the. For the marketplace and so you know if there were more stringent um tariffs and, and duties uh, to make a level playing field for, for british or western industry and um, where we do adhere to uh, the correct uh, guidelines you know it would create a level playing field um, and you know we re work really hard to create a fantastic quality product at a good price we do have different ranges but um, a lot of equipment providers are far removed from their supply chain, um, you know, and some well-known ones in the UK and, and, and abroad where um, they couldn't tell you the working conditions that that factory is in. They, you know, they couldn't tell you the environmental uh, things. And, you know, simple stuff, you know, in the UK, you're, you're laser cutting items and there's got to be light guards, there's got to be dust extraction, uh, there's got to be X, Y, Z protocols. And you can go over to other factories abroad and, you know, there'll be someone operating with a, you know, a laser beam, not a fiber laser beam, not protected, and the guy will go blind in six months um, because he's not got the correct PP and the machine's not enclosed. Um, there's no light guards to shut the machine down. That all costs money. Um, and I think uh, definitely as an industry, the, the fitness equipment industry especially, uh, you know, they're just like um, certain segments will look at things and go, oh, well, this is cheaper. And I go, well, there's a reason it's cheaper. And you do the individual consumer does have have power so that's sometimes quite frustrating for us because um it doesn't create a level playing field um and you know it's it's definitely annoying um but i think we're probably going to see a gradual shift of, of that with um uh, with policy you know that's our hunch uh, moving forward um uh, yeah but as a, as a british equipment manufacturer you know we don't manufacture everything in the uk but we manufacture a hell of a lot in the uk um, you know, we can categorically say we have extremely good work environments, we pay good wages and salaries, uh, and we look after our staff, uh, and we uh, definitely comply with the relevant 
um, environmental regulations, which um, definitely, um, in terms of other providers, that they would not be able to go and do that with their supply chain. Um, I think, think that the really key part for us is that, you know, especially our UK one, we've worked really hard to, you know, we made some mistakes, we've learned some lessons, let's, let's look at making UK barbells, what a painful journey that was, but what a journey we've been on. I can yeah. tell everything there is to need to know about a barbell mat production now. And yeah. even, and, and that, that's a, that was a journey for us, but let's, let's look at import stuff. Like you said, like we try and do as much as we can in the UK, there's some things we can't, but we've been to the place where they've made, we know where it's going on there. We've seen it, we've built those relationships. I, I know for a fact that not many people could say that. We've been told that we're one of very few people are like, oh, you've come to see us, like this is, this is different. You know, we've been out there, we've checked and we know that we can hand on heart go, we know our product's made, we know where it comes from and we know we're happy with it. And that means a lot to us because you can go out and do your job. And then, there is frustration with the industry, but there's a, I think there's a moral obligation to, to know where stuff comes from. And, and ultimately, I think it's only going to keep going one way. And I think why get caught in the price war of cheap, cheap, cheap? Ask yourself a question. Do you want to, do you, have you ever actually thought why that's the reason? And I don't think that thought crosses a certain segment of the market at all. But I think delving onto that thing as well, Ian touched on is, you know, we've gone through, the only way you can learn is through failure. And we've definitely experienced our fair share of failures. But uh, again, uh, in a society, the minute with quite a lot of young people is, um, they're completely scared of failure. And failure is just feedback. And the more, the more you can fail uh, when you're young, the quicker you can learn um, and then improvise, adapt and overcome from that uh, and become a better person. Like no one's ever got to wherever they are and been successful without failure. And so that is one thing, especially and definitely like, you know, whatever generation it's called now, generation Gen, Gen, Z. Gen Z, you know, they're scared of failure. Um, because they're on social all the time and they see uh, success or they see that, you know, that little window of success that people want to perpetuate. But actually, you know, um, if you want to have a successful life is you can't be scared of, of failing. You've got, to, you've got to go at something and it, sometimes you've got to take it as a learning, learning curve on the chin and go, okay, it's not worked, but you're definitely, you know, you're not going to start from square one. You're going to have a load of knowledge um, that you can move on for. Yeah, and I think what's really important there, and it, it harkens to kind of the beginning end of the, the answer to that question, is that it's important to have strong, uh, a sort of strong self-centered, right, and a, a strong code of ethics inside that you can always, you know, at every failure, you always have that to go back to and say, this is what, you know, this is what I'm made of and this is what I'm about. And I know you guys aren't just paying lip service to that because of the, you know, the horror stories I've heard from you guys and the anecdotes I've heard where, you you know, you've literally refused when you have to manufacture abroad, when it, there's no other option, when you've refused to, you know, work with, with certain people because of the, uh, the conditions and, uh, and the ethics in those places, even, even to your own detriment, you know, you could, you could manufacture a 150 pound barbell if you didn't have that kind of strong, uh, like central ethos of it's important that this thing is manufactured ethically across the board and i think that's quite important and it is something that permeates through the the entire company um on that note what are kind of your predictions for the industry over the next 10 years where do you see things going by the time we hit 2031 so, so yeah i think we've both got different views i think we'll both have to be careful because obviously it's a competitive environment 
but I think yeah, anyone would agree digitization is definitely um, you know on the on the up and the trends of, of you know wearables and you know getting data and tech from your training, um, which you know is, is definitely interesting. Uh, I think sometimes it's uh, I think you probably agree is it's a bit OTT and part of the enjoyment of training is not being plugged in and dialed into your technology. It's an escape. So, you know, it's an interesting area to look at. I think um, you're going to see a lot more in terms of um, that, that knowledge element of, um, you know, the democratization of that knowledge. Um, so I think they're probably like key takeaways from me on, on that. And I think there's, but I also think it's quite a, um, uh, in the short term, uh, the short immediate term post COVID with supply chains and, everything else that's going on is it's definitely quite a dynamic and um, environment you know it's a, it's quite um you definitely the, predict what's going to happen and what's going to go on is is there but i certainly think the competition in the health and fitness space is going to increase you're already seeing it becoming quite saturated and i think you'll see um you know uh, areas where you know firms are going to increase their investment in intellectual property uh, and you know, try and secure their position on on certain uh, areas in terms of IP, uh, because you know it's it's a it's a high uh, high growth industry, and you know there's definitely you know profits and margins to be maintained on that. Um, but I also think you'll probably see in terms of the social side, I think you're going to the British consumers quite educated, and you know if someone knows they're getting pe- some influencers are getting paid a million pounds to post about something. Um, you know, the market's gone well beyond that point of, oh, I'll buy that because that person said I should buy it, or you'd like to think so. Uh, maybe not the Love Island crowd, but, um, you know, definitely a lot of others. So, no, I, I, I watch it a bit, a bit easy. Watch. I heard you replied. <laughs> uh, I, I wish. Um, so, I, I think you, what you're finding is um, the education or the knowledge base of your customers is increasing. Uh, you know, and so, you know they're definitely going to be more. Uh, they're going to be more critical and and evaluate stuff. Um, so I think that's probably the immediate take takeaways uh, from me uh, on that. I think from my perspective, the biggest thing is the consumer is going to be continue to become more knowledgeable. Like you said, I think they they want to become more knowledgeable. Courses and information is becoming more readily available, but people are being more selective of what they're they're taking on. But not just from a, an NB2C consumer, but from a B2B consumer point of view, the people who go to these gyms or running gyms are still consuming the same information. So I think that home gyms are going to continue to become better spaces. And I think as like us at 23, now at 33, people are moving through the gears as they're moving through the chains of where they've been working and becoming independent from whatever it is now, I think that they'll continue to force change in positive ways. And I think that they'd be as selective as to what their gym represents. We often become the associated brand that comes with them. So that's really important as we want to continue to make changes. They do. Yeah. I think as people become more and more educated and as that becomes the norm, like, a, you know, the, the consumer is as educated now as the professional was 10 years ago. I think that it's going to be less a case of companies being able to just kind of command and just, you know, 
buy this product because it's going to solve your problems. And I think the, the companies and the, the organizations that are going to rise to the top are the ones that offer the education alongside it because the education is really what solves the problem, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Is there anything that you think is flying high at the moment that you can't see standing the test of time? Anything that's kind of in the groove at the moment, it's the next biggest thing in fitness and you can't see it making it to 2031. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's quite a few things. I think that's down to um, very smart marketing, targeting a, um, an, an easily influenced demographic. And I think uh, I'm all for that demographic of being more educated and being able to critically think. Um, I think that's mainly coming from the, the social media side and influencer side where uh, certain individuals in that space aren't doing things for the right reasons. They're doing it to make money. Um, and I'm very much for seeing that come to an end where, uh, you know, we're really sort of seeing the professionalization of those, um, you know, there's lots of different types of influencer and we would only work, we only work with or tr definitely screen and only try and work with influencers that actually want to contribute and increase that knowledge. Um, and that's not the same for all providers um, and all companies. So I think um, I think we'll sort of I think we'll see that pan out and level out over the next few years. Um, but in you know I think there's there's always that throughout history. If you look at things, there's always people that will perpetuate things for a quick sell. Um, and you know ultimately um, you know that's not we're what we're after. We we want to sort of um, we don't want to oversell. We want to provide uh, the relevant equipment and the knowledge um, to our customer to make an informed decision and in improve their lifestyle. Um, and so I think we're probably going to see a change of culture. I think a shift uh, in how businesses operate moving forward in the future. Yeah, uh, I think on top of that, you, how people have handled the pandemic is a big thing. So there'll be certain companies out there that will have set prices really, really high. And now you're already starting to see them slashing their prices, which shows you that the concept maybe isn't quite correct. And I'll choose my words wisely there. It's a concept. You know, there's an element of reality to certain things whereby people bought into it for, for said reasons. And I think actually what's coming out of it is people have wised up pretty quickly. and the arse has fallen out of certain things and the things that are there still sustainable keeps coming back to this functional way of working. Whether it's the right or wrong thing, the functional way is a way that stands you in good stead for the future. And I certainly think being nimble um, and, you know, some of the Goliaths in the industry have probably got a bit lazy um, and probably maybe a bit afraid of disruption. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the sign of a healthy market and... And, you know, we've got a very good product, we've got a good brand, and uh, we've got an extremely good strategy and people behind us, uh, as have other competitors as well. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with competition because that, that actually, you know, drives the market and actually keeps you on your toes. So, you know, we're all for competition um, and, uh, and collaboration as well, you know, where it fits. You've got, to, you've got to look at the market and go, where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses? Because uh, ultimately it's about the customer and going, well, you know, we can't provide this, but we know... We know these guys and, and you know, they're very good at that. We do um, that already, don't we? I think it's yeah. been a big part of embrace things that you don't do 
and instead of it being seen as like uh, a rivalry it's like well actually let's work together on this and let's make a better outcome you do this and we do that well that's fine that's yeah. great and i think you know the whole anti-hustle club is you know rome wasn't built in a day and this whole idea that you can just have high growth industry without putting in the groundwork and the foundations is a complete fallacy it's a myth and, and we're all for sustainable uh, growth uh, we're not we're not for rapid unsustainable growth we're on about you know incremental gains improving our offering improving the knowledge and expertise expertise of our staff um, and and slowly you know the tortoise tortoise does overtake the hair um, and that's what we're about i knew there was a reason i saw in the gym yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 no i mean i said that i was going to kind of close with asking you what your what would be your mission statement for the next 10 years but i think you've really kind of hit the nail on the head there for me you know for me knowing you guys in the idea of incremental sustainable growth and not you know it's not just a case of like cash in bro down and you know what you were saying there about it's a slow burn rome wasn't, rome wasn't built in a day i think a lot of people this weekend you know, as, as we, as we talk about the Bulldog gear sort of 10 year anniversary, I think there's a lot of people, particularly people that have come through during the pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, seeing you guys for the first time are going to be like, uh, to be honest, I was surprised. I was not surprised, but I was kind of like, huh, I hadn't thought about that, that you guys have been in business for 10 years. Like that's a, that's a long time. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it needs a medal for working for me this, uh, this long, but, um, yeah, it's uh, no, it's definitely you know it's it's good, it's positive, and um, you know I we I think we'd want to take the opportunity to thank all our customers, um, all the staff that are with us now and with us in the past, um, like to thank the whole team because um, it is a team effort, and definitely we would not be where we are today without everyone that uh, plays a part, and whether that's uh, members of staff, uh, family, um, advisors all those key suppliers that have like, you know, helped us along the way. Uh, and it's all about, you know, anything in life is about relationships and uh, building up a, a trust and rapport. And I would like to think that, you know, you know, we've definitely done that. And, you know, we, we didn't get everything right. You know, we're, we're only human and you can make mistakes, but we certainly look back and reflect on that. And, you know, in, in regards to our customer, we take uh, their, uh, you know, their points and their criticism seriously. It hits hard, you know, when we get, when, when, when there's a negative review, that gets straight, you know, emailed straight over to, to both of us and we'll look into it. You know, we're not disconnected from the, the end consumer. Um, and certainly a lot of that's justified, you know, definitely. Some consumers, the odd one consumer or two are difficult, but um, a, a lot of it, you know, we are always striving to improve that customer journey uh, and that customer service. Um, because ultimately that's what's going to allow us to have sustainable growth you know we want we want to be able to follow along that that journey with our customer yeah i think like we spoke about it just briefly i think like takeaways for the future AT, i think you know we will continue to create change just you know it's a way that the customers whether their customer is an end consumer or running a space whatever that might be i think the power of the independent for the future is going to continue to create change and be disruptive especially whether that's from a governmental point of view and how local authority gyms are or 
disruptive to how, say, the old guard will have run their certain things. Young people are going to come through and they're going to create changes and we're going to be there to support them. Yeah, definitely. They're the guys that are driving the change. You know, we're not after the old, uh, the old fogies who don't have a clue. We want, to, we want to really help those young entrepreneurial individuals that want to, you know, create and make something of themselves. Yeah, and it, uh, just kind of in closing, if me personally, if I want anybody to take anything away from this, from this podcast, it is that I think it's really tempting because you can walk into gyms up and down the country, and you can open up magazines and you can go on YouTube and you can see the Bulldog Gear logo on the on the side of a rig, and it it may give the impression. I mean, I think most people would be then tempted to believe, like, not wrongly so, like this is a you know a huge huge operation. But you guys are really right there with your hands on the wheel, steering the ship. And as you just said, you're not disconnected. You're not disconnected from the industry. You're not disconnected. This isn't, you know, this isn't some hustle culture drop ship. You've seen a, uh, you've seen a gap in the market and you're, you're capitalizing on it type thing. You genuinely want to disrupt and change the industry for the better. And as you say there, empower young entrepreneurial individuals with the, the with the tools they need to carve out their own space in this industry and i think that's you know that's my biggest takeaway and i hope uh, you know having worked with you guys for years that's my biggest takeaway and i just hope that well i know that's going to come across in this in this podcast and for me that's what i want people to to realize like this isn't a this isn't a faceless ent- entity you know you guys are driving change yeah and uh, i think biggest thing to take away or to like you know, to, to someone who's young and wants to set up their own gym or, you know, PT studio, um, you know, is, you know, failure is good. Uh, learn from it. And definitely look, the more failure you can make when you're younger, the better. Um, don't listen to people that say you can't do anything uh, because it's, uh, it's merely down to actually they're trying to impose what they think they can't do. And actually you're making them feel bad because you think you've got the will to do it. Um, and, and just go for it. And, uh, you know, um, don't, don't take no for an answer. Just keep going. And, uh, you know, there'll definitely there'll be ups and downs, but just keep going for it. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing for there. And, and the other thing is, you know, okay, we do use social quite a bit for marketing, but get off Instagram and Facebook and just live your life. That's a good little way to end it. Pretty, yeah, pretty uh, sage advice. Uh, normally, I would ask people, ask guests where people can find them, but it's just... Bulldoggear.com, right? Guys, yeah, thank you uh, very much for your time this evening. And, um, I've, you know, normally I'd say, hope we can do this again sometime, but I imagine we'll all be speaking again tomorrow, multiple times throughout the day. So, <laughs> yeah, some stuff to get on, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Good night. Thanks very much, Greg. And there we have it. Thank you for listening in. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, It would be greatly appreciated if you could drop us a review on your podcast app of choice. Any feedback you've got, please send it over via social media and don't hesitate to tell us what you would like to hear more of. I'm AT, this has been the Bulldog Gear podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys.